there has never been an Asian American woman at a Women of Faith conference or Passion or, I mean, this is the first women's conference that's ever had an Asian American woman. Welcome to Listener. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Today on the show, we have teacher, writer, speaker, Vivian Mabuni, who currently works under the Influencer Gate with Crew City. Is there someone you'd like to hear interviewed on Listener? Email me at samanthaholland at crew.org. Enjoy the show. Where do you live? I know we're both on the West Coast. Yes, I am Mm -hmm. in Southern California in Mission Viejo between LA and San Diego. Okay. Is it a nice sunny day there today? You know, it's overcast today, which is very odd. I think really? It, yeah, it may rain a little bit, so everyone's mm. freaking out. Everyone's on <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> Californians yeah. do just not know what outside. to do. Yes. <laughs> There's moisture. It's, it's just... Yes. Well, I always think about that movie, L.A. Story, with Steve Martin, where yes. he's a weatherman. Yes. yes. And he just—it's just sunny every day. It's like throwing the sun up and just well, is, and it's still sunny. It's yep. Sunny again it's today. <laughs> And you're in Portland, is that right? Yeah, right outside Portland, Oregon. I got to see Portland last spring over Memorial Day weekend, and it was it was stunning. What were you doing here? Why were you here? I spoke at Sprummer, which was there were about oh, two hundred yes. Asian American students involved with Epic from the Pacific awesome. Northwest. It was really really incredible. Yes, I have heard about that actually, but you're not with Epic anymore, which I just figured out because you told me that <laughs> yesterday. You're with Crew City. I'm with Crew City. So we were with Epic when it first started 10 years ago and uh, have served on, in various roles over, mostly on the, uh, the executive, the national executive team. And so our role right before we left was, Darren and I were both directing national directors of field ministry. All the time, I was kind of moonlighting this writing and speaking thing and it just kept growing and growing and it was getting harder and harder to mm-hmm. even discern like what was okay and what you know how does this fit and can I take this on does this work and so we were really kind of at a crossroads and right around that time yeah. was when all the restructuring was happening too and so as we prayed and uh, we we're just looking at different options it, mm-hmm. uh, it opened up for for Crew City and the opportunity for me to have this be my mm-hmm. job even and you know be in a gate where it would just if it fits our family schedule I can do that so how exciting that's been really nice okay yeah, so which I gate really which city gate are you a part of so it's the influencer gate okay and I think that the okay verbiage may change <laughs> and gates may become a different word mm-hmm. or something I heard but uh, but thus far, yes, I'm in the influencer gate. Well, maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about how you came on staff, um, yeah. more of your story. Who Who is Vivian Mabuni? What's it like? <laughs> What's it been like to be Vivian Mabuni on staff? What's your staff oh, journey been like? My my staffamony. <laughs> well, <Yeah>. I uh, <laughs> so I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and once I made a lordship decision to follow the Lord and give him control of my whole life. Um, When I found crew as a freshman, like day one, stepping on campus at the University of Colorado in Boulder, I was ready. So I just dove in. I ended up majoring in crew and minoring in marketing. (laughs) 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 And 
And when it came to graduation, I was deciding between law school and staff. And I realized that my favorite hours of the day were the ones that were spent sharing my faith and discipling women and all of that. It was just so incredibly motivating. I just loved that. So I asked my folks if I could just do two years of staff and then we could reevaluate about law school. And so two years turned into going on 30, like I'm 20, 29th year right now. I requested specifically to be placed in California because there was a large number of Asian Americans and there were not that many Asian Americans obviously in Colorado. So they made an exception. I requested either Berkeley or UCLA. So I got placed at Berkeley and that summer Darren and I were on the Manila summer mission it was this crazy story, Sam. <laughs> so it was like this, it originally was supposed to be a thousand U.S. staff and students going over to Manila, along with 102 countries and all of the ministries of crew, with a vision to reach the 8.8 .8 million people living in Metro Manila. And then uh, there were just some coup attempts and bombs that went off in January. And so that number went from 1,000 to 300, which is still a huge summer mm -hmm. mission. So Darren and I were on different teams. I was with the Pacific Northwest. He was with Southern California, Hawaii. And long story short, the team had to be redirected to Thailand uh, because of kidnapping threats and all this craziness. And so there was only two staff left to lead. The one staff guy was Darren, and the one staff girl was me. And we were like new staff. Like, Darren had not even reported to UCLA yet. And they were handing us walkie-talkies and money, and here's what? NLTC training, new life. What, is this before you knew each other? Yes. Oh, before this we knew is how you met? Yes. <laughs> wow. And then 7.7 .7 earthquake and all the crazies, and we fell in love. <laughs> and then we got engaged... We dated for three months and got engaged by Winter Conference. So that was 26 years ago. So that's how we met. And so then from there, um, joined him at UCLA. And we were on staff there until 98. And then moved down to Mission Viejo in 98. And then he did EFM um, with the Pacific Southwest for a while. And then um, Epic started in 2007. So we mm -hmm. switched over sometime in 2007, 2008. So now you have three children. Yes. Tell, remind me what their ages are. Mm -hmm. And I, I think just what's it been like being a spouse and a parent and also having this career in ministry? And, mm -hmm. you know, we always are looking for balance in our lives. What has that looked like for you? Well, I three kids. Uh, Jonathan is 24, Michael is 21, and Julia is 16. So uh, definitely hit a new season. When I was a young mom on staff back in the day, there, there were no really. I I kept looking for moms that were still involved in the ministry. And what I found at that time, unfortunately, was that it was just. It felt like Darren and I were going along on our little staff journeys, getting some training, getting input, and then become a mom and you kind of fall off a cliff. Mm. And then you kind of have to just cut your own path to try to find your way back. So I would like, he would go to like campus director trainings or leadership trainings and I would come back and I would read the manuals and I would just cry <laughs> because it was like, <laughs> I love this stuff and I'm just, that's not my world. And there were no other young moms still involved in ministry. So I didn't 
think it was an option back then to really stay involved. And so I kind of did what a lot of the young moms did at the time, and that was to get involved with community Bible study, BSF, MOPS. And what I found mm-hmm. is that there are a lot of women leaders in crew. And when they become moms, if they aren't given opportunities to serve in the ministry of crew, they'll just go and run mops <laughs> or, you know, wherever there's yeah. child care, women will lead. Um, that's yes. just the, that's crew, crew women. I used to tell my friends that when my kids were little and not in school and things like that, um, Darren worked primarily during the school year and I got to work in the summers, whether we were on summer project oh, or, yeah. um, in Colorado and our kids mm. were in, there's always such great programs for the kids. Mm-hmm. And so that they looked forward to just as much as I did. And I think winter conference was the same way. It's like, oh, I get to come and there's something great for my kids to participate in. And then I get freed up to be involved with what's going on. Totally. And so, um, when we moved down to South Orange County, I, I kind of tried to pull together the moms a little bit. We did a mom's co-op. I mean, we planned like the mom's retreats. We would do certain things, but all along I was realizing my, my development is going to not necessarily come from a specific role, which was hard at the time, but it, my life just didn't afford that. And Darren traveled quite a bit with his different roles. I was trying to figure this all out. And then God, I think in his kindness, he allowed one opportunity that grew into more opportunities where I was invited to speak at like a, um, a Saturday morning campus women's time. And, um, and then that turned into a, a, a retreat. And then kind of word got out that I could do like retreats locally and started getting invited to more and more. So that already was kind of putting in my heart, like, okay, there's a way that I can still stay involved, um, be all there for a weekend at a time, and then go home and just, you know, do the the carpool <laughs> and, and all, all that comes with being a mom. Yeah. And so it's really been a journey. It's um, I've loved seeing this new mm-hmm. culture in crew where more and more young moms are doing more job sharing mm-hmm. and um, there's just a lot more creativity and I think that that's really um, been good for our ministry overall. And I think moms are a gold mine of experience and uh, leadership, all of it. You know, but sometimes, you know, at the sometimes people think, oh, moms aren't really even on staff. And we're like, no, no, we're, you know, we're trained and love mm-hmm. college students. So I, I always tried to somehow stay involved. And that was one way that the Lord opened it up for me to do so. The other part was, you know, for Darren and I, we love summer missions. And so that probably is what kept us on staff, even mm-hmm. just having a simplified life, a group of students and staff that we could live life with for six weeks at a time. Um, our whole world fits in a suitcase. Yeah. You know, there's just something really great about that. Our kids get to meet amazing yeah. students and staff. Um, and I think that again, afforded another place for Darren and I to serve together and to lead together um, mm-hmm. because there mm-hmm. was child care. Because the, the students would take turns, you know, yeah, watching the kids. I and know. that just freed it up for me to be able to contribute, which I look back now and think those were some, those were some of my favorite times on staff. Yeah, there is so much freedom on staff to really look at how your unique family situation and your life stage Mm -hmm. and 
just decide with the Lord and as a family how you're going to engage in this season. It sounds like somewhere along the way, you really discovered some gifts for writing and totally. speaking, and then that has now led led to where that's a, a really significant portion of what you're doing. Can you tell us more about that? When blogging first started, you know, my husband was like, you should write, you should, you should be blogging. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a writer. So I just kept going, no, 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 no. And it actually was my cancer journey that mm-hmm. brought out the writer in me. Uh, because uh, one of my best friends, Layla, set up a caring bridge, mm-hmm. which is like that medical online blog. So that was a way for people to kind of track with us, pray with us, be with us. And as I was writing there, these stories kept coming. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just found, I found it to be um, kind of holy ground. Like there was just, there's no mm-hmm. editing involved. It was just a very authentic, no need to put a bow on or finish off with a, perfect verse it was just kind of here's how the lord's meeting me or how he seems even absent but it was just a place to to worship um, so from there it was kind of like wow there's actually a piece of a part of teaching that i really mm-hmm. enjoy so it's not even just writing for the sake of mm-hmm. stringing together beautiful words it was really that there's a there's a teaching element and that's what's motivating to me about writing and that's what's motivating to me about speaking and so, so there's always that. Yeah. So at that point you were walking through breast cancer and so writing about mm-hmm. it through your caring bridge and then that turned into your book, Warrior in Pink. Yeah. So that was kind of a crazy maker too, because typically to become published traditionally, a potential author queries literary agents and the literary agent sees some sample writing and goes, okay, I really think you have what it takes. And then together a book proposal is done. And then the agent takes it to all the publishing houses and pitches it. Otherwise, most agencies will have thousands of book proposals in what they call slush piles. And so mine ended up going a little bit backwards because an editor was introduced to me by an author I'd never met who lived in Michigan who happened to read my blog, who forwarded it to her. So it just... It was backwards. So I ended up signing with a literary agent as I was already in that process going through the editorial board and the marketing team. And so that's kind of how it all... So I think I needed that, honestly, Sam, because I just felt so inadequate and mm-hmm. felt like, I'm not a writer, I'm not a writer. And I kind of just felt like, you know, <laughs> there's certain battles in the Old Testament where the Israelites just kind of showed up and the Lord, like, caused the the armies to fight each other and they all died. The enemy died and then they just kind of show up. And that's kind of how it felt. I felt like I just kept walking up to the edge of the battlefield going, oh, okay, I guess we're done here. <laughs> just, God just and said, I needed, you are a yeah, Yes, just keep going. And so that mm-hmm. was, uh, it really took a, a little extra encouragement on his end for me to kind of go, okay, maybe I can take the next step so well and what kind of feedback have you gotten from your book what's maybe the coolest story of how God's used it in someone's life oh wow well I mean everything from someone who tweeted me when the book was released from I can't remember which country in Africa it might have been Nigeria or somebody that had somehow read my book all the way over there and had been blessed by um, something specific that I'd written even about my Asian culture and she was relating with her Nigerian culture and understanding like we we share this similar 
experience. And so that was, mm. that's been amazing. Um, I still get feedback from people I haven't met, you know, that, oh, I read your book or my friend passed my, your book on to me. You know, mm. that's just been um, really sweet because I realized, you know, I could speak in front of a thousand people and that's a thousand people, but the book, there's just no telling who's reading it and who's passing it on to another friend. Mm. And uh, the mm. hardest part about that, though, is needing to go back there emotionally every time I recall mm. the story. So it oh, was, really? yeah, it was probably last October, this past October, or maybe the October before that was the first October that I wasn't invited to speak on breast cancer for breast cancer awareness month. And mm. I was actually thrilled. Like it was just a relief almost to not have that be, that's part of my story. It's, it doesn't mm. define me. It's marked me, but does not define me. And that, mm-hmm. uh, having that break from having to, you know, whenever I teach about it, it's like I'm remembering all over again how awful it was. So it was just mm. nice to be able to teach, to not teach on any of that. And mm-hmm. um, it's different than teaching from the scriptures uh, to mm-hmm. teach a personal story like my cancer journey. So I bet. So you are a speaker, a teacher a writer. The last time I heard you speak was during the If Gathering. My church oh. hosted a little, yeah, my church. I was watching you from my church, and I was telling everyone, that's Vivian Mabuni. I know her. She's with crew. <laughs> um, and you were up on stage with the jug of milk, <laughs> pouring Hershey syrup in it, show, and then stirring it up to show how we can be filled with the spirit so I just it was it was just so cruel I love it um I mean really it's really so God Mm -hmm. it's not just crew but I would love to hear more about your partnership with if gathering Mm -hmm. and that journey yeah well it's been such a fun again another unexpected clearly the Lord orchestrating the right people at the right time I watched the first if gathering off this very laptop that we were speaking on <laughs> um, <laughs> um, in, my, in, in my home. Like, I watched it live stream and was really... And why, how did you hear about it? Why were um, you watching it? You know, I think it was just kind of... There's a little bit of a buzz going on, and um, I think someone had just recommended it or something. So it was just, you know, something new, women always have had a burden for women and women in ministry so Mm -hmm. women in leadership all of that so there was definitely interest and as I listened to the talks they were fantastic I mean the speakers were just spot on I was so inspired but when I looked at the stage and when I looked at the audience it was so white and Mm -hmm. um so I just I knew a friend who knew Jenny Allen uh, and so I just said, can you just pass on some feedback to her? Like, everything is awesome. I love it. Um, I just, if you're serious about reaching this generation, you'll miss it mm-hmm. if you aren't intentional about diversifying your stage. Wow. So that was really where it all began. And uh, turned into a phone call. Um, I think they were surprised that I didn't ask anything of them. You know, it was just really coming mm-hmm. as, you know, we're fellow um, family in in the army of god you know and wanting Mm -hmm. wanting if to win um so it was just there was no strings attached to it It was just really just honest Mm -hmm. um 
feedback with your brand new, and if you really want to be intentional about this generation, these are the these are the, some of the issues that can't be missed. And so the yeah. interesting part was that the Lord had already been working in so many of their hearts anyway. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, Ferguson had taken place. I mean, there were just some mm-hmm. issues that were already starting to dot the landscape that it was like, okay, we're going to go there. And so Jenny, with all her mm. courage, you know. So then I kind of got swept into being a part of the racial yes. reconciliation roundtable that they mm-hmm. had. And that's actually what... Mm why we had ours at crew was because Wendy Chen, who was on the design team, was at that if gathering, saw it and said, We need to do that here. Oh. So that's how that first one in crew fifteen happened was because we mm. had done that at if gathering just a couple months before. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think the Lord used that because in a conversation setting, it's intimate and it's modeling conversation. It's not someone talking at people, even like a panel. I don't think is as effective in talking about such emotionally charged topics, but conversation where there's back and forth and really seeking to listen and hear and then having people observe mm-hmm. the interaction, I think that that's really powerful because we, we uh, especially believers nowadays online and everywhere, we're just so mean <laughs> mean and defensive, you know, both sides. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. um, we can't even get to the heart of the real issues when our, our initial response is to be defensive on both sides. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that was really effective. So that's how that they had asked for some mm-hmm. feedback after, um, after the event. And I, I just, you know, sent them some thoughts like, you know, this has been great. Um, I just said, I would really love to normalize women of color just teaching the Bible and not only speaking on racial reconciliation because what I've observed is that people of color are brought into conferences to talk about racial reconciliation, but they're not necessarily Mm -hmm. teaching main stage. And so I just said, that would be great to do that. So they really honored that. So the following year, they invited me to be a part of a panel on stage that talked about John 15 which was wonderful. And then last year, it was the topic was discipleship, and I got a call, and they said, we were praying, and we really feel like the Lord wants you to be main stage, you know, and it was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then um, they asked me again at, for, to speak at If Lead, which is to all the leaders of the If Locals in Dallas uh-huh. in September, and then they asked me to do main stage um, this last If Gathering, too. So I just, I, I think I've been just, completely blown away you know I mean just in mm-hmm. um and at the same time feeling like you know what it there has never been an Asian American woman at a women of faith conference or passion or I mean this is the first women's conference wow. that's ever had an Asian American woman I mean did it take a lot of courage for you to give that feedback is that a role that you've played before even in your career on staff or what what was that whole process like? Yes, I feel like um, in my years of staff, it's been trying to communicate the same truths, and it's been at times really hard. I'm not, I'm like textbook avoider, you know, as far as like mm. uh, attachment styles, I'm an avoider, so I don't like conflict. I really mm-hmm. am a team player, mm-hmm. and I, you know, fiercely loyal, um, 
but for whatever reason, the Lord keeps putting me in these places too. And so mm-hmm. um, I think the biggest challenge for me at this point is to not just completely lose heart. Like, I feel like I'm screaming into the ocean, to the wind. Like, it's just the, yeah. the difference, I think, with if gatherings, because it's so new and young and nothing's been established yet. And so I think that in our ministry, mm-hmm. we're so established 60 years of, you know, it, it's hard to turn mm-hmm. a big ship. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, so that's probably been the advantage of if is just it's younger, it's newer, more pliable. Um, and I think the leadership has been walking through um, the whole racial reconciliation thing in a way that they've been trying to do a lot of work to learn and understand, and that has been really helpful as well. So it's not just me saying something. It's my white sisters that have been reading the books and doing the, the hard work, really, of understanding, like, why is this an issue and why do we keep hearing these things happening and what's going on systemically, what's gone historically gone on, you know, and have gone in to really learn. And that's really made the biggest difference, I think. What, what or who was it in your life that really prepared you just for this aspect of your role that God has you playing? Was it your mom? Was it your, um, your experience working with Epic for so long? What were kind of the um, key influences that God used? That's a really good question. I, you know, it's interesting that you would mention my mom because, um, not a believer and there's a lot of traditional Chinese values that I think I just kind of absorbed growing up in a Chinese American home. So at home it was Chinese, you know, we spoke Chinese, used chopsticks, you know, everything was Eastern culture. And yet my mom really did not fit that mold like to immigrate to the United States I didn't even realize until I was married to Darren that she was just steps away from her PhD and then she got pregnant with me like literally could have finished her PhD if she wanted to but it was like wow I had no idea and it was really Hmm. just her she was innovative and saw things and responded to things so I think she actually has played a lot into believing in me that I could do that I could make change you know, so that's, mm-hmm. I think that that's really, now that I'm process, I'm a verbal processor, so I'm, as I'm processing with you, I'm like, mm-hmm. she really did influence me in that way, and mm-hmm. I should probably give her a call and thank her. <laughs> 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 Just, oh, man. So, and I think that, you know, along the way, I mean, I think Charmaine Lillistrand has been um, a friend and a, mm-hmm. a role model to me of a woman who, um, really knows how to partner and knows how to just, you know, call out people's gifting, you know, is not, I don't know, she's, to me, really demonstrated a a genuine humility um, and just an ability to love well people, and so um, as these opportunities come up, she's just been such a constant encouragement to me, too, like, yeah, you can do this, go for it, you know, this is, this is, this is what the Lord could be doing or whatever. So she's just been a, a confidant and a friend and um, just wise, a wise, experienced um, minister of the gospel. So, yeah, I look hmm. to her, too, as definitely a role model and a huge influence, you know. 
back to my yeah. early, she was my trainer when I was back on staff at Berkeley. So that's when I first met her. And then our lives just keep crisscrossing. Mm-hmm. So. so this conversation reminds me of these two articles I read over the weekend. One was in the New York Times and it was about, I don't know if it was specifically just ethnic minorities leaving the white, it was black. leaving white churches. Yeah. Did you yes, see that one? Or was black, it? black. Was it specifically? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. And then I read another article that um, I think it was called a, a Black Reformer. It was by a black woman who talked about wa- wanting to leave her white church mm. sometimes, but but then feeling like God was asking her to go to her pastors before she would make that decision and really tell them what her concerns were sure. about the culture at her church. Yeah. And so she did, and then... They were super humble and sort of like your if experience. Mm-hmm. They said, this has been on our heart. We need you. Help mm-hmm. us. Meet with us. Teach yeah. us. And how she's now staying at that church and entering in with these pastors. And I just left those two perspectives because everyone's story is different. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you are called to leave a church, but sometimes you're called to enter in and really let God use you as a, as a voice of change. And so I just wondered what your encouragement would be to all of us mm-hmm. as we're grappling with these things and playing different roles. Definitely. You know, it's interesting because I, I have as many... I'm actually, among my people of color friends... There's such a level of emotional fatigue just staying mm-hmm. engaged. It's just been mm-hmm. exhausting. And so I would say that New York Times article nailed it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like there's just been long suffering and long, long suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the mm-hmm. same way that I was describing earlier, it feels like I'm screaming into the ocean and the waves keep coming, but my voice is not carrying anywhere. It's just so limited. And I can scream as loud as I can at the top of my lungs, but there's just not, um, there are times it feels that way as an ethnic minority. Like, we've been saying this for Mm -hmm. decades now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So in that sense, it's like, oh, wow, I, I, I have not felt dismissed by anyone in leadership as far as that what I have to say is important. Um, that I'm valued as an individual. The thing, my probably my biggest encouragement for my white staff specifically is they're, um, rather than feeling shocked about all of the racism that's going on, um, because sh- being shocked kind of recenters on the white person and their experience, mm. is really to take the steps to be learners and to read a book like White Awake, by Daniel Hill, to take the time and go through lenses, um, to really um, not see things through uh, just one news outlet, like to read more widely, to allow your Twitter feed to include voices that you may not completely agree on, but there's really good lessons to learn from. Others, I think in crew, we can get very narrow in our view um, and sometimes need to kind of open up a little bit more. And um, and that's, I think, true of the white evangelical church overall, too. Is like, And I don't think that 
honestly, I don't think that two Christians will agree 100% on all issues of all scripture, of all doctrine, of all views on anything, even amongst husbands mm-hmm. and wives. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel mm-hmm. like it's not, mm-hmm. it's, there, there are still important, important lessons to learn through individuals who may not share entirely my view of inerrancy of scripture, you know, but it doesn't mean I can't mm-hmm. learn because all truth is God's truth. And in, in, I think that there's a lot to glean. So reading a book like Brian mm-hmm. Stevenson's Just Mercy, that's another mm-hmm. great book to just to begin to see that um, this is not coming out of, um, this is coming out of a history and a, a system that's been set up that, you know, back in the day, African-Americans were not allowed to worship with white people. And so that's why there's even the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, it's like, it's not coming from 2018. This is, you know, it goes way back further. And the more that we understand the context and the history, that gives greater understanding and appreciation for some of the frustration that is going on. And in in that way, I think, um, just more compassion and empathy to really begin to go, okay, how do we start to move into this? I believe the church does have the answer. I believe the Holy Spirit can empower us to um, be about righting the wrongs. Um, But when Mm -hmm. I think when we associate our faith with a certain political party, that becomes dangerous. And so I think that Mm. we were never called to align with a political party. We're called Mm -hmm. to align with the Lord Jesus Christ the scriptures, and even my challenge, even as we study the scriptures, is how much are you interpreting the scriptures, how much am I interpreting the scriptures through white, uh, only white input of only white male um, European theologians, you know, yeah. the original, like, my goodness, Thomas went to India like first century, like there were believers in Northern Africa. Mm-hmm. There, Simon of Cyrene, the, who carried the cross, was from Africa. <laughs> like, I mean, there's just, it mm-hmm. was multi-ethnic back then too. So to think that it's only one view is very narrowing. And so I think that that's probably mm-hmm. been, for me on my journey, is realizing, okay, how much am I thinking that this scripture is true based on the viewpoint of someone else? and not really understanding the whole of the history and the people that the scriptures are written to and all of that. So that could probably be its own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) To be continued. To be continued. Stay tuned. tuned. Okay, so we do tend to read a lot of white theologians. I know I interviewed Keith Johnson a couple weeks ago, and he talked about really encouraging changes they're even making with IBS to make it more multi-ethnic in every way, in every class. I know it was really encouraging and exciting. I just wondered, do you have any um, non-white theologian recommendations non-white non-male maybe yeah (laughs) or yeah who who should we read? Who should we read? Oh boy you know the sad thing is I cannot think of one right off the top of my head and I know they are there um, but I cannot Mm -hmm. think of one off the top of my head. I do want to recommend one book. It's called Vindicating the Vixens. Vindicating Mm -hmm. the Vixens 
Revisiting Sexualized, Vilified, and Marginalized Women of the Bible. And it's edited by Sandra Glahn, G-L-A-H-N. She's, um, okay. so she, this just came out, I think this fall. And all of the authors are like multi-PhDs, you know, doctorates of everything. And there are African-American women, uh, I think a woman from Costa Rica or some... But taking different women in the Bible, and it's just so eye-opening to see some of the study that's gone on into how we have, um, for example, thought of Mary Magdalene as a prostitute, which there's nowhere in the mm. scriptures that explains her being a prostitute. And, mm. and if anything, she's an amazing leader, but the way that she was painted back in, you know, the, when they did all the paintings of the Bible... You know, when Jesus is white <laughs> in those paintings of those Bibles. <laughs> yes. Um, that You know, they painted her as kind of this harlot. And so this view of mm. her has been tainted when, in fact, there's nowhere in Scripture that shows her to be, have any questionable moral, you know, backstory of being a prostitute. So that's just one example, but they go through... So that I love, and there are a lot of women that contributed, but a good number of men too, and a good number Mm -hmm. of them are from Dallas. So DTS is, you know, on the more conservative side. Are you a student there? I'm at Talbot. Okay. Yeah, I'm at Talbot. Yeah. What about Twitter? You mentioned even not being narrow with who we follow on Twitter. Yes. Can you think of anyone off the top of your head who we should follow who's maybe... Not who we would first think of. Yes, I would say follow Sean King, S H A U N K I N G. Mm-hmm. And he um, does a lot with Black Lives Matter. Um, mm. He's a great researcher. Um, and it's just worth reading, like, why a certain topic is really frustrating for him as a black man. Mm-hmm. You know, so he would be someone that I just think it's worth reading just to get another viewpoint, you know. Yeah. Um, sadly, you know, online, I think on one hand, it can be a great place to glean more information and learn more. I mean, everything's mm-hmm. at our disposal. We can Google just about anything. It's hard to know who to trust sometimes, mm-hmm. and we can become such groupies. So it's kind of like if my favorite pastor says blank, then that must be gospel truth. And I think mm-hmm. our challenge as believers is to be like the Bereans in Acts 17, go back and search the scriptures and see if it really does say what, you know, and hmm. be able to have a more well-rounded um, viewpoint that is not Western, middle-class, upper-middle-class. And that's my challenge, yeah. too. Even as an Asian-American, I know I'm coming from privilege. I have a college education. Um, I've grown up with not understanding um, the issues of poverty firsthand, you know. So there's a, a, there's so much to glean from people who are not like me. Um, it opens our world and the scriptures up, I think, in ways that are just astonishing. So it's been humbling. It's been really good for me to open up um, my eyes to see life outside of crew, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. that's just because in our little crew world, it can mm-hmm. be um, kind of insulated, and we start to think that everyone 
acts and talks and thinks like we do when that's not necessarily the case. Well, and you mentioned lenses. I know there's mm-hmm. different experiences yeah. that crew is creating different environments where we can go and really just learn experientially alongside maybe a smaller group of 20 or 30 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband, Darren, went down to the L.A. lenses last year, and it just changed his life. Yes, yes, yes. And I know there's now, there's the impact training that staff can go through. And now there's an epic one. I just saw Margaret, you post about it. Oh, wow. where it's, it's online and, and maybe five weeks long, but there is a, then a point where you can, you all come together for a few days. Anyway. Oh, good, um, good, good, good. Yes. Yeah. I, hi, I'm, I, I'm only familiar with lenses because I went through the training for that one and um, it was excellent. It was excellent, mm-hmm. and there's just been a lot of thought and continuing honing that I've really appreciated from that team. But the yeah. the content um, is just so valuable because mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't understand, we don't know why a certain thing is even offensive. You know, it's like just out of just absolute ignorance. It's like, I just didn't know, and now I understand why, you know, and there's... So, yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Um, it's just as an investment into our own development as well as being able to speak into current affairs, like, on campus, like, with students, with people at church, mm-hmm. I mean, in our communities, with our Muslim neighbor even. I mean, just the more we know. And we do this all the time when we go overseas. Like, we really do. We take the time to learn the culture, learn customs and languages and all of that. We, we are so... I love our staff. I think we have some of the most amazing people in our midst. So it's not a question of gifting and mental capacity <laughs> or, you know, ability to learn. I mean, I yeah. just think I have such high yeah. regard for my fellow staff. I think it's just a decision to just jump in, but it's costly and it's uncomfortable and it's, um, yeah, it's gut-wrenching and it really mm-hmm. is because then it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's the matrix blue pill, red pill. You know, you can live mm-hmm. in this insulated everything's fine world which is not real or you can take the blue pill and experience reality and then all of a sudden it's like so now then how do we live and that's kind of the decisions that are before us as the church I think Mm -hmm. to be relevant to be and this is what we Mm -hmm. strive to be in crew is to that we would be relevant that we would not be reactive but proactive that we would see and read the times and and move into it um with grace and truth and that we would be leaders in these areas right not just Mm -hmm. trying to catch up yeah but I think that we have to humble ourselves and realize you know what we've missed it we have not gotten it and so we've Mm -hmm. got a lot of learning to do and like you said the catching up part and that's that's okay because we've just we have to start somewhere it's our current reality Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Vivian as a parent how do you enter into these conversations with your kids oh this has been a big big issue and I it's interesting because my two older sons one has graduated from college and one um, is currently in college and it's the New York Times article it's that's Mm -hmm. being lived out in my family here and now and so um Mm -hmm. so I feel that very personally very deeply 
in mm. um, trying to navigate. Like, they still love the Lord, but, you know, cannot with integrity be in these environments anymore, you know. And so, yeah. and, I, and I respect that. I really do. Um, it's very thought through and thoughtful and researched. It's not a reactive thing. It's not brainwashing from the liberal university, nothing like that. It's actually very, mm. um, yeah, I actually have respected a lot of the journey that my, my sons have been on, you know, and what mm-hmm. they've been learning, what they, what they bring to me, how they're challenging me now as, you know, as I'm trying to navigate these waters as well and how to respond, you know, it's mm-hmm. been really, really mm-hmm. good really good so I think mm-hmm. as a parent from the beginning um I just never wanted the kids and maybe this is for me not growing up in a Christian home so I didn't know how to do Christian parenting <laughs> um <laughs> but I didn't ever want them to be like um so quote-unquote familiar with the scriptures that they would become bored with it like I didn't mm-hmm. want them to get just a little bit and then get inoculated and think oh I already know it all like, I really wanted them to be in the scriptures because they love God and they wanted to know him, and it was out of that place. So that can happen at any point. I, I wanted um, to have communication. as uh, To me, communication was more important than them having the right answers to um, all the questions. Um, I kind of feel like, you know what, we God is so much bigger than we even realize that we can't box him into categories you know so Mm -hmm. in that way I feel like I'm glad that we had those conversations and I I remember at one point I just said you know what you have the freedom to explore whatever you want to and need to because I am so convinced that Jesus is the way the truth and the life if you are seeking the truth you will find him and it may come around 20 years from now and that's okay you know I'll still be with you through all of that but you don't have to adhere to what I believe just because I think that. You know, so there's, I think that giving our kids freedom to be who they are and their relationship with the Lord apart from us too is, I think, helpful. That takes a lot of trust, doesn't yes. it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's so humbly being a parent, let's face it. Oh. There's just so many places like, oh, I wish I knew then what I, w- what I knew now, what I know now. Yeah. It's so funny, just the cultural realities that that we live in and raise our kids in. One of my kids, he has said for a long time, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have a family. Mm. And he has really particular ideas about what he's made for and called to in life. And um, it, we would always kind of laugh about it, like, oh, you, you'll want to get married eventually and have a family. Ha, ha, ha. You know, the other day I felt really convicted thinking about Paul saying, it's great to be single. Mm. <laughs> and, I, and so yesterday I said to my son, I said, you know what I've never told you before or looked at in the Bible with you is that there's this part where Paul says how great mm. it is to stay single so that you're not distracted and you can live your life for God, whatever he's created and called you to do and his little face just lit up and I thought you know what are my own just cultural Mm -hmm. things that I've been Mm -hmm. raised in in and out of the church that I unknowingly just pass on to my kids when really if you look at what the word says it's like 
maybe his calling on your life is to be single and that's great. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So much yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? He's Who old, knows? he's not even he's in junior high. So you never know, but you just never know. <laughs> yeah. You don't. No, that's great. I love your yep. response though. Just for him to know that you have his back. Well, Vivian, what's next for you? What's on your radar? And I know you said you're at Talbot. Are you just working <laughs> on a degree there? Yes, I'm working on my master's in Bible exposition. Mm, and cool. I'll probably graduate in, I don't know, another six years or so. Yeah. <laughs> it's taken mm-hmm. so long, but um, probably actually 2022 is when is projected my graduation oh, cool. date. Um Excited! I have another book coming out in summer oh, of do. 2019. Yes, I so I signed a book contract and just turned in the manuscript. So I'll be working on edits along the way. And then there's just mm-hmm. been really fun environments to our places that I've been invited to speak and teach at. And so I'll be doing more and more of that, which I really enjoy. And um, I think I might jumpstart my blog again and what's your blog what's your the name of your blog or your website or both it's um vivianmabuni.com well great thanks so much for being with us today oh it's been an honor thanks for having me sam